This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, the CBS Sports Radio Network. My name is Mike Casaza, paging Chris Anderson. <laughs> right on cue. As soon as you open it up, phone's ringing. Ready to go. Cell phone's on silent, please. Yeah, I got it. I got it. 3.30 p.m. game, Saturday at Mountaineer Field on ESPN. And here's a quirk. You know how we complain sometimes about how play-by-play color commentary is substandard? And I believe this last game was an example of that. The exact same crew last year and this year, uh, Dan Orlovsky, Bob Houston. How about that? Yeah, that's that's not a it's not a bad crew. I kind of like that one. Yeah, you figure continuity on the call. I kind of like that. And then they had a pretty entertaining game last year. Second game of the season. Everybody's still feeling out everything about the return to football, life with COVID, so on and so forth. An unusual season. You get a conference game second week. Sometimes that happens. Most of the time it doesn't. West Virginia plays a, I don't know, a game that's they lose by more points than they score. Final score is 27-13. And I was just remarking to you, that game, as I revisit it, first and what was written about it the day of and the days after, and then just kind of scamming through it, scanning through it. It was oddly close for a 14-point game. A number of bounces went against West Virginia there. They miss a field goal. They give up the strip sack scoop and score. Josh Sills falls on a fumble. Josh Sills plays for Oklahoma State. That should have been a scoop and score for West Virginia. And then on the drive where Oklahoma State seals it, they go up 27-13. They have a third and long. They hit a draw play where they really confuse West Virginia. Just caught them guessing on third and nine. That keeps the drive going, keeps them out of a field goal, punt situation, whatever you want to call it might happen there. And then the center snaps it over the quarterback's head, and it's bouncing around again. And the quarterback falls on it. It could have been 2013 with, I don't know, about two minutes left West Virginia ball, if that is in, in a scoop and score or a long return. And every single strike went against West Virginia in that game, which, I don't know, they didn't get a lot of bounces last year. The ball was kind of going in their direction this year a little bit. But I don't know how much of last year's game to use to lay over top of this one because some of the personnel is the same on both sides. But Oklahoma State's much better than they were last year. And West Virginia... Never mind a year ago, three weeks ago is not very much like it is right now. Yeah, the, you you started talking about that game to me before this, and I was thinking, what do I remember from that? And I do remember it was a one-score game late, and you're thinking West Virginia had a chance. And then I remember, I believe it was something like a eight, nine-minute drive for, for Oklahoma State at the end of the game where they converted four third downs, five third downs. West Virginia just could not get off the field. And if they had just gotten one of those stops, they're getting the ball back with a chance to tie the game in the fourth quarter. Instead, they don't. Oklahoma State punches it in on the end zone. And then, it, you know, like you said, it, it looks worse than it actually was. And, and especially when I think 
West Virginia was down, what was it, 20 to nothing or something to start the game? Or at least it, w- it was 20 points like in a row or 17 points in a row, something like that for Oklahoma State too. So it was a game where about three quarters of it was pretty evenly matched and one quarter just kind of fell apart for West Virginia. Yeah, and and that was a very – that was the, the team of the offseason of the summer in the Big 12 because Chuba Hubbard and Tyler Wallace have both come back. And they didn't really have a whole lot to do in that game until the very end. Wallace makes a huge catch on third down. Hubbard punches the ball in at the very end. But, man, I think if West Virginia plays as as hard and as competitively, they'll be pretty happy, maybe not only with their performance, but with the result. Um, which leads me to this, Chris. Um, it's, it's in or out time. Believers, pretenders, one of those things. Um, West Virginia, two wins in a row of increasing quality, let's say. I don't think... Matt Campbell's going to get fired here. Highly doubt that Mike Gundy gets fired. But uh, a third straight win here for West Virginia, fill in the blank, means what, Chris? I think, I mean, it means bowl eligibility. I mean, I, again, I, I hate to chalk up Kansas thing as a win, but I think for the most part you can. You're at least finding one win, I think, out of those final three games. But that that speech about, you know, one week at a time, that's something all coaches say, but I think it's especially true with this. And there was a user on our message board. I apologize for not thinking of your name right off the top of my head here, but you brought up a good point. A good, a, a similar year, 2013, West Virginia's three and five. And it's, mm-hmm. oh, there's no way they're going to go to a bowl. And then they go down to Fort Worth and beat TCU in a game that they were supposed to lose. And then they're four or five, and everyone's thinking, oh, man, they might be. A, there's Kansas still on the schedule. That's a win. And now they can get bowl eligible. And instead, West Virginia lost the last three games, including two in overtime and that game at Kansas, which was not an overtime game. And that was – now, you, you'll be able to have a better answer than me or better perspective than me on this. That was a real kind of – gross taste in the mouth to the end of that season. I mean, 2012 did not end the way everybody had hoped. And then 2013 just goes off the rails like that, losing those final three games, six of the final seven, and and including that Kansas game. So there was that glimmer of hope in that game after TCU, and you really don't want to repeat that this time around. No. um, Yeah. (laughs) Do you remember that? How does does that, like— stick in your memory that 2013 year and how does it compare that wasn't a very good team like i think this team is better and that team had major quarterback problems remember they played millard childress a broken childress they beat oklahoma state i believe that was the big the big win that year right yep oklahoma state was number 11 in fact if if i'm going to sit my head correctly and then you're right um the only trouble is that they went to they they played Texas to overtime at home, right? And right. that game went sideways at the end. But you're thinking, all right, there's still a chance here because they end up four and eight, right? Yeah. I really think that one Kansas is a miserable experience. The weather complied that day; it was awful. It was empty. It was rainy, rainy, drizzle, miserable. And and I don't know that there's anybody who was on that plane in that hotel on that bus who thought they were going to lose that game and that they weren't coming home to play Iowa State with bowl eligibility on the line. And that's what happens, which is a really good past this prologue moment here because you win two in a row, you start to think everything is going well. Handling adversity, that maybe has been the box checked in the past couple of weeks. 
handle success. Let's see how this team handles that. Are, are we ready to declare that they're ready to handle success? Is this success so far? I guess is the well, better question. When had they had it? Right. I mean, that's that's a, that's a study here that I think would be pretty interesting to conduct. I would tell me if you agree or disagree. Here, I made this point. I don't think I discussed it with you, but I'm not sure this is a team that struggled with adversity. If you look at some of their losses, they've come back and they've either played pretty well or won. They don't really get boat raced a lot in games. So, for example, the first year they lose what 38 to seven to Missouri, and they come back and they score 44, which is the high mark for an FBS opponent against NC State and win that game. That's a pretty good bounce back where you can be discouraged early. And then, yeah, things don't go great that season, but the season's lost at the end. They win two out of three, so they fought in the end. Last year, you know, followed losses but wins, stayed in games. And then I think that the the nature of the Baylor game and the fact that they they went away in the first quarter and never really came back, I don't know if that's a West Virginia thing as much as it's a, a Baylor at home thing, where Baylor is probably pretty good doesn't mean that West Virginia isn't. It also doesn't mean West Virginia is 25 points worse every day. Just maybe they can't beat them. But winning back-to-back games, answering the bell from a bye week, I haven't seen them really shrink from adversity, adverse moments before. But I also don't know when they've been, like, super successful because, you know, they won two in a row last year. They beat Baylor in overtime at home. They thumped Kansas, and you're thinking, okay, this looks good. Go to Texas Tech, lose that one, head scratcher. Um, come back 37 against Kansas State. They go on the road to Austin, lose that one. They had some chances. Come back, beat TCU, go on the road. Uh, actually, they had the they had what the the cancellation or the delay against Oklahoma. Long week ends into a long season. They go and they lay an egg against Iowa State. You have that huge gap between the end of the season, and the bowl game. What three weeks, four weeks? And they come back and they win the bowl game, too. So they've handled the downs. I don't know they've handled the ups very well. Didn't have a whole lot of reason to. Didn't have a whole lot of wins in 19. But um, the times that they've won or been feeling good about themselves, they've stubbed their toe. And that's where they have to really make growth right now. I think it's promising the fact that they've they've won after they've lost. And they've answered the challenge this time. And in between, they've had some good moments. But where do you think this ranks? in two plus seasons now of on the confidence meter for them because i think like the first year everything was checked you know you, you could look at all oh, they beat they beat uh kansas of course last year similar things but you know they lost that last game they won this one but they lost that last one or they needed two overtimes to score 27 points you could check a lot of it i just think right now that if you look at the meter it's probably higher than it has been in the first two plus seasons i it's it's funny you mentioned that because that's that's where i was going with this was is this the, I think this is the high point of this season because to be quite honest, I think the the high point before this might have been after the loss at Oklahoma, right? Like because I don't know if you're really feeling great about beating Virginia Tech. I mean, obviously you feel great about beating a rival Black Diamond trophy at the time, Tech's ranked number fifteen, so you're thinking it's pretty good. But the way that game ended, you know, almost blowing it and the way it went down, like, there were not a lot of happy people about that game at the end, yet there was a lot more confidence after the loss to Oklahoma, I felt like. And that maybe that's the second highest point for this season. Because, yeah, I think this is the highest point that West Virginia has been so far in 2021 and one of the highest points since Neil Brown took over um, right now after after beating Iowa State like that. Yeah, um, considerable amount of chest thumping after that loss to Oklahoma. Oh, we'll yeah. see them again in Dallas. Look what happened. 
And if they can handle a high like that, the way they did, that's not encouraging. So again, small samples because there haven't been a whole lot of opportunities. I'm just not sure that I buy into the fact that they're not good when they get down. They can dig out. That's fine. How do they handle when they're they're doing well? We'll see. And again, I'm not sure that you can draw a, a perfectly straight line from how they feel after a loss to Oklahoma to how they feel after back-to-back wins. The, the enthusiasm, the confidence isn't the same. You have wins versus a loss, but they did try to make something positive out of the Oklahoma loss. Didn't happen. They do have positives now. You know, they learn to to prepare better, approach better. They should not be down 14 nothing, 17 nothing in this game, especially at home. But transition to Oklahoma State, uh, I talk about how West Virginia is the stay-in-your-lane team. Frequently, they're in the, the right lane too much, and teams can pass them. But, man, Oklahoma State is – they just have the Oklahoma State tattoo, it looks like. They are the same thing every day. Uh, their games don't vary much. They're not overly impressive offensively, which is kind of a – a deviation from the past, but they're effective. They're scoring 30 a game. They're giving up 18, but they play complimentary, and it just looks like a recent version of Oklahoma State that's extremely polished. I'm going to try that with more talent or better talent collectively or even at individual spots in the past couple of years, but they're pretty impressive. Yeah. You want to get to, to the matchups on each side of the ball? Let's do this. Where do you begin? Because, again, you think Oklahoma State, you think – Offense, you think offense at Oklahoma State, you're thinking Bolitnikoff award receivers, um, quarterbacks who are statuesque maybe, but also throw the ball a lot well. That is not this team. They do have two speedy receivers. Their quarterback is, I would not say a question mark. I would not say an exclamation point either. But they have an offensive line that moves people in a running game that is probably surprised, I think. Yeah, I think if you're looking at it on that side of the ball, eh, Spencer Sanders has been key for me, I think that's a, a point of emphasis. Obviously, they run the ball. Offensive line is great. But Sanders is the guy, and maybe I'm just a little slow on this. I still don't know if I trust him because we've spent the last two years with some inconsistent performances from him, a ton of turnovers. I mean, I, uh, I'll i look and see if I can find the individual player turnovers, you know, as far as uh, interceptions plus fumbles. But I know at one, at least one point, multiple points over the course of the 2019 and 2020 seasons, he was leading the entire nation in turnovers. He has a hard time holding on to the ball. He has a hard time not throwing it away. That has not been the case as much this season. Now, he's got a handful of interceptions, but I think most people do. He's got five, uh, which is given the fact that he isn't throwing quite as much as others. That's actually kind of a high rate. Um, you know, one every, what, 25 or one every 30 throws, 34 throws. Um, it's the average, whatever that is. It's not It's not too terrible, not too great. But it's better than it was. His fumbling's better than it was. I'm just not sure if just these handful of games is enough for me to say, okay, he's figured it out. Um, so I think that maybe that fought, maybe I'm agreeing with you here and saying that he's not an exclamation point for me, but he's not a complete and total question mark or concern for me either if I'm Oklahoma State, but I do believe that's a point of emphasis, a point of attack for West Virginia, a weakness that maybe they can try to exploit by trying to get pressure on him. I'll let you scurry for the turnover stats, and I'll stretch here. Are you ready? Yeah, go for it. This is remarkable to me. This is his third year in the system, and he's talented. There's no doubt about that. He's talented. He's a dual-threat person, and that's a little bit different from what they've had before. The year immediately before him, they had Taylor Cornelius, remember him, but mm-hmm. that guy threw for almost 4,000 yards, 32 to 12 touchdown interception. 
and despite his game against West Virginia, was not a dual threat, was not running around people. Before that, you had the Mason Rudolph years. So I think that there's somewhat of a struggle or at least a transitional phase to get used to someone like Sanders. This is crazy. Are you ready for this? His yeah. first year completed 155 of 247 passes. His second year completed 155 of 247 passes. The exact same completion percentage because it's the exact same completion and attempts. Now that's remarkable to me because it's a coincidence and I don't really sure. I'm not sure you can draw a whole bunch from that, but what that means to me is that they know how to use him. They know how to extend him. And if you look at his numbers from the first year of the next, he went from 22 and a half attempts, 8.4 yards per game per attempt to 27.4 attempts per game. Guess what? 8.1 yards per attempt. So more plays, not quite as productive, but you're off three tenths of a point. They figured out what he can do and they locked him into it this year. Uh, lower completion percentage, but he's 24.4. So they've kind of uh, lowered his number of attempts per game. Now, he doesn't have Wallace this year. I get that. So it's two good receivers, but they've reined him in a little bit. He's also running more, too. Um, his running numbers this year are impressive compared to what they've been in the past. Already this season on the ground, uh, excuse me, uh, 74 runs, 298 yards. First year, 139 on the ground, rushing. 628 yards second year 101 attempts 269 yards so a guy who was running for 260 or 628 down to 269 injured last year i understand they didn't want to do that but they've liberated him a little bit more this year already 74 attempts 298 yards they i just think they know who he is and maybe to your point about interceptions and turnovers he may know who he is now the fact that they have had similar stats to him and that the adjustment has been in maybe how often they've asked him to do things or whether they've asked him to do things with his feet rather than his arm. I think they have a good understanding of what they have there now, too. And he's been, I would say, active in the red zone, too, which is a big difference, I noticed. 18 runs, 55 yards, four touchdowns in the red zone this year. Um, just better than he was last year. 16 yards, 23 touch, or twenty-three yards, two touchdowns. And his freshman year, 18 rushes, 21 yards, one touchdown. So already more touchdowns this year than he had his first two years combined. And he's not passing the ball as much in the red zone because he can do things with his feet that are that are effective. Uh, 15 passes in the red zone, six touchdowns this year. That's good. Um, 26 last year passes, 27 the year before. Again, similar numbers, 26, 27, on pace for that again this year. It just seems apparent to me they know what they have and he knows what he can do. Yeah, or so can't do. Went back, double-checked. Yeah, fumbles way down. Uh, he's doing a much better job of running the ball this year than he has in years past. Uh, you know, the the average is the same. The yardage total is not quite as high, um, about half, not all the way through the season. But he's holding on to the ball better. He, he had five fumbles in 2019, five fumbles in 2020. Uh, so far in 2021, he's only got one. Um, and and he's run 74 times already. So that's that's pretty darn good. Interception, again, five of them. Went back and checked based off of his numbers, this is actually the highest rate of interceptions he's thrown in his three years career, three-year career. Uh, first, he had 11 in 2019, which was one out of every 22 attempts, and then one out of every 31, and now one out of every 34. So it's, it's, he's getting better there as well. So it, he's, he's protecting the ball more than he has been. He's not throwing as many interceptions. He's not fumbling the ball. So, Maybe I should be a believer because everything's trending the right way. 
it's, it's trending the right way. He's not, you know, throwing it as bad as poorly, but I still just feel like, I don't know, you, you know, it's there, you know, it's happened before. And you wonder if you can still try to force him into those kind of mistakes again. Let's talk about the running back, uh, Jalen Warren. This was supposed to be the LD Brown season. Mm-hmm. Tuba Hubbard's gone. Brown impressed a lot last year when he was in the game because Trevor, Trevor Hubbard was out or wasn't effective or he just needed a break. Brown was explosive. West Virginia saw that. He was the better running back in that game, had a long touchdown run, had some key conversions. He's been injured. I uh, believe he had a minor knee procedure. Could be back sooner than later. Who knows? But they brought in a transfer from Utah State named Jalen Warren, who is not especially fast or twitchy, but for what they do, stretch zone, wide zone, outside zone, he's really good at that. He runs hard. He thunders that ball when he sees the gap. Uh, 59 forced missed tackles this year. Third in the country behind uh, two pretty good names. You want to guess who? I'll fill it in. Kenneth Go Walker, ahead. Michigan State. Oof. And, well, yeah, and then over at Texas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Your boy. Yeah, well, he's been good this year, too. Where Again, he and I, the best running back tandem in the Big 12. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, third in the country in forced missed tackles. He gets the ball a lot, and he breaks tackles. He runs through people. It's going to be a challenge for the defensive line as well as the linebackers there. Yes, it is. But I think this this is the one area, again, it's kind of like the, the Iowa State thing where it's just – Saul was great, and he made some plays. And the positive news here is that the coaching staff seemed to identify how, I mean, basically, what was it? Two two big runs and then 20 terrible runs, more or less, like 20, 20 runs that averaged about two yards per carry. And Neil Brown admitted it, and Jordan Leslie said it. You can't, you just can't take those away. You can't pretend like they didn't happen. You know, that'd be great if you could, but that's just not how that works. But they were able to identify what those problems were, and they weren't. West Virginia did a bad job. I believe they blamed one on a bad call, bad defensive alignment, and then one on just somebody being overzealous trying to make a play and got themselves out of the lane. Those are things that are fixable, and those are things that you can fix. And if even, again, if you're doing the right play 22 out of 24 times, I think you'll take that. And I think West Virginia can repeat that against a running back that's good, just like L.D. Brown is, um, and try to get the same kind of – I mean, you don't want to give up two plays for 130 yards and a couple touchdowns, but the same kind of results against uh, Brown as they did against Hall. Um, I did the math. Mm-hmm. Went back and tracked this down. This is pretty impressive. Uh, they handed the ball to Hall 24 times. 17 runs were for three or fewer yards. Six of those 17 were for no gain or a loss, and three were on the goal line or to the four-yard line, so four and in and didn't reach the end zone. That's really good work. So you figure 17 carries, six of them didn't go anywhere, were backwards. 11 went for, you know, between one, two, and three yards. That's good. Trouble is, yeah, they got gapped twice on them. I shouldn't say gapped. They were zone plays. Um, I think that they had, I think that Leslie sent a bad signal. One player didn't get it and didn't get over in time, and they they got outnumbered on that 70-yard run. The second one, I think they got flat fooled. That formation was really strange. It was three tight ends motioning into that left side and, again, just outnumbered over there, too. But also, he did a lot of that work on his own. Um, I want to go to this, though, if that's all right with you. Uh, Go for it. Just let me correct something real quick. I know it's Jalen Warren. I'm sorry I said Brown again. Go ahead. I didn't even notice that. I was caught up in you not calling L.D. Brown, Letty Brown. (laughs) Also, I don't think I named 
the running back of Texas. Should I just continue to call him the running back of Texas? Because I That's think I was trying. Well, I can keep calling him the running back of Texas, or I can call him by his name because again, he and I are the best combination in the Big Twelve. Big ups to B. John Robinson for carrying his end of the deal. Um, four down linemen worked pretty well. It's not an every down thing, but I'm pretty sure they're happy with. I would say five to six defensive linemen now, and if you can get four of them on the field, that's pretty good. And I want to read to you specifically something that Josh Chandler said after the game about playing an even front. It gives us the fine gaps. That's really about it. When you put two, four eyes over the tackles, that makes it hard to run against. A lot of zone schemes are built on the tackle climbing up. You put a four eye there, it's hard for him to combo up to the linebacker. So a four eye is a defensive tackle who lines up. What they call it is is on the tackle's inside eye. So basically, it's it's kind of a reach block. It's not a push block. And if you're trying to block zone and you got to go, I don't know, you got to lean a little bit, maybe against where you're trying to go, it can be hard to do that. And you push up the field and you create an alley for a linebacker to come through. So I'm not exactly sure how many even down snaps they played, but you figure best Aaron and played 23 snaps. Jordan Jefferson played quite a few. So let's just say, I don't know, a dozen, 15, and we just read you the numbers against Hall. What if I told you that the zone ratio for Iowa State was, is 157 to 76? So 157 zone snaps, 76 gap snaps. And then the ratio is 249 to 46 for Oklahoma State. Uh-huh. <laughs> they do zone, 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 and then maybe a gap now and then. And the gap is probably mostly design runs for Spencer Sanders, as far as I can tell from watching them. You gap a lot of stuff for your cornerback. Um, so they zone a lot to Warren. How much even front do you think we see Saturday? I mean, one, a lot because because of the matchup you're talking about. Two, because <clears throat> I'd also argue that's the best personnel for this team anyway. Uh, I mean, I, I think one, it's a better matchup. Two, it gives you the better personnel. So uh, I think you're going to see a good bit of it, uh, some extra Eddie V. I think Jordan Jefferson's played great uh, in the spurts that he sent him in there. I don't know how it fits as far as getting him in there if he's, you know, well, you, maybe you can tell me, but is Jefferson a guy that plays that kind of gapping defensive tackle rather than just a straight nose tackle? Can he play that defense, one of the defensive tackles in a four-man front? He had, yeah. He yeah. started. Then, yeah, I think he should do it. I think they should do it. I mean, I one, again, what I'm trying to say is the matchup's good, personnel's better. Do it. All right. Now, what if I told you that West Virginia played counting penalties and replays 64 snaps last year against Oklahoma State and played exactly one snap in an even front? And it's the snap that I mentioned that went over the quarterback's head along the goal line. So that was probably as much of a goal line gimmick than anything else. But a defensive lineman that day, Quay Mays, played 10 snaps. Um, and Jalen Thornton played 19. Thornton's not seeing the field right now. Quay Mays is off at Arkansas State. Is that correct? So yeah. They don't have that personnel, but maybe they didn't have the personnel last year is my point, because I don't think that they knew or trusted very much about those guys. So, sure. And then you're basically just playing with Mesidor in his second college game, Pooler, Dante Stills, Darius Stills. So you're going to concentrate your snaps into the two Stills and Pooler. Hard to play even front there. I get it. They're more equipped to play that now. Um, And again, going to your point, who do you take off the field? Do you take off the Will, which is X3 low Lance Dixon? Do you take off the Bandit? Probably Jared Bartlett. He's been playing a lot more than Mandarius Cowan. Um, and then 
can you supplement that by putting, well, I don't know, do you, do you put another defensive back in a spot that can cover more? Do you take a safety off the field? Like, how do you mess around with that? I don't know. So I would, I would think that maybe there is some pause there because they're going to have to do some things to, to play well behind it. And then again, not the exact same as what Iowa state does, but Oklahoma state will use tight ends. They call them the cowboy back. They'll put two of them in the backfield, with the running back, They'll, they'll motion before the snap. So somewhat like Iowa State where they are decoys, but they're also the keys. They could follow. They could be counters. Who knows? But, man, you might need extra defensive linemen to kind of disrupt gaps. But you also might need people behind them. Could be linebackers, defensive backs, whatever, to come through and stop the run. Uh, fun little chess match there. But I was surprised to learn that they played no even front against them last year, basically, after playing you know, a handful of snaps and even five man fronts against Iowa State last year. Played some four, played some five. They liked it enough. They brought it back this year. I wonder, did they not like it enough last year? They won't use it this year. Or the results last year were inconclusive because it was a second game of the season and they have more defensive linemen right now. I'm thinking that you'll probably see it because I'm not sure you can completely use last year's performance as an indicator of what to expect this time. Yeah, I think they definitely got more comfortable uh, moving things around as the year went on. So maybe, like you said, a little inconclusive because it's the – second week of the season um something else on that running for oklahoma state have you seen the splits based on which direction jalen warren runs it's conclusive <laughs> it is it, yes that is conclusive yeah. uh when he runs through the left side seven yards per carry when he runs up the middle three when he runs to the right four um his favorite person to run behind take a wild guess it, he's gonna be in the nfl he's getting drafted Josh Sills yep. is is his favorite guy to run behind. When he runs behind left guard, right when he runs off of left guard, off of his left shoulder, 35 carries, 256 yards, 12 first downs. I mean, that's that that's it, it is the most comfortable stop, spot on the line, the most comfortable gap for him to run through, and it's right behind Josh Sills. And and again, even when he's not running behind Sills or off of Sills. He likes to go to the left side. He'll bounce it outside some too. So um, I think West Virginia needs to be prepared for that. I don't know if you can completely overload that side because the actual run distribution isn't that great. I mean, it's 68 to the left, 54 to the middle, 52 to the right. So it's not, it's slightly more uh, runs to the left, but not something egregious. You just got to play better on that side of the ball. You have to scheme up some things to, to try to get some matchups over there so that, um, Josh Chandler Samato can get in the gaps and make some tackles. Yeah. Another reason I think you might see the four defensive linemen is because it makes you bigger. You're going to put two big, strong guys in and Jefferson and Vesterinen likely. Now, how much can they both play? I don't know. But all the offensive linemen for Oklahoma State are 6'5, 300 and above. Every one of them, except the center, who's 6'2, 300. But your, your tackles and your guards are 6'5, 6'6, and somewhere between 305 and 325 pounds. That's a lot of mass down there, too. And if you can match up and negate some of that, that's pretty good, too. Uh, big two playmakers on the offense. Uh, Tay Martin, who I'd forgotten, was at Washington State for a long time. So he's used to the mm -hmm. ball being in the air and, and fast. And then the other guy that, that you kind of have to watch is Presley, who scored in a reverse, a reverse last week. They use him in special teams. They get him the ball, too. Um, I believe West Virginia will say this is the fastest group of receivers, or at least duo of receivers they've seen. But... They do have other options, but those two, that's a pretty good tandem. And, and again, when you talk about losing Tywin, Tywin Wallace to the NFL, I don't want to say they haven't missed a beat, but they certainly are productive there. Again, the ball's not being thrown as much, but 
it has worked pretty well. What do we think of the receiver matchup here? Uh, Martin, I'm very familiar with. I, I followed him closely when he was in Washington State. Like you said, he he was a volume catcher. Um, could get could get open. He does a lot of different things. I think he's got some speed on him too. Um, and I don't know how they're going to match up because I haven't seen as far as like inside outside goes, slot left right. They kind of seem to move all over the place. So I don't know if there's going to be a specific, uh, you know, Woods on Martin or vice versa or moving guys around. But that that zone is going to be tough. And I think that's part of the reason, one, the – this so the Iowa State game, we were talking about getting pressure on Purdy without bringing the blitz. And it was – it worked out because something – in the numbers, something in these advanced statistics, and I'm going to bring this back around to Oklahoma State in a second, but something on that advanced statistics for Iowa State stood out, and I could not figure out how it made sense. And it was that Brock Purdy held on to the ball and had the time to throw as long as anybody in the Big 12, but also had the most hurries in the Big 12. And I couldn't I couldn't grasp it, or the most dropbacks under pressure. I couldn't grasp why. But they also split things up based off of how many pressures are credited to the quarterback, meaning mm-hmm. the quarterback's holding onto the ball too long and the offensive line did their job. Purdy's up there in the Big 12, not just the Big 12, but the entire country. And I think that's what we saw in that West Virginia game. If you can confuse him and get good coverage on the receivers, pressure eventually gets there. Sanders, a little different because he's a little more um, a little more athletic, gets a little outside. So I think these receivers need will not have to keep their coverage as tight as long as they did against Iowa State but it's going to have to be tighter to begin with I, I think you know the, these plays are getting off quicker the receivers are getting the ball quicker so West Virginia is going to have a hard time trying to find that balance between keeping tight coverage to cut the quick throws but not letting the the speed of these receivers burn past them for the deep pass either Um, you're going to find on the right side, Tay Martin, most of the time, Presley plays the slot quite a bit. He's their security blanket, but also the guy that they get to. That's that's the position in this offense that's usually pretty effective. Uh, On the left side, though, watch Rashad Owens, a redshirt freshman from San Antonio, Texas. He ran for 1,500 yards and 23 touchdowns as a senior, redshirted last year, transitioning receiver. He's a receiver now. He's had a pretty good year. He's he's been up and down, obviously. It's kind of neutral, but 16 catches, 232 yards, and a touchdown. Presley leads the team five touchdowns and 23 catches. Uh, Martin, 14.7 yards per catch. They have some weapons there, but after that, uh, they use Warren quite a bit. He averages 12 yards a catch on 13 catches this year out of the backfield. And again, the fact that he's been as good as he's been has probably bailed him out on offense quite a bit. Uh, Flip to the defense. Last week's defense, um, extremely veteran. So many seniors back played really well for a season and plus now um, some of those guys are three or four year players too. This defense um, might be a harder matchup for West Virginia just because it's so aggressive. I don't want to call Iowa state passive, but just the nature of their defense is to react to things. And we saw West Virginia just gobble it up willingly, effectively. Don't know that'll be the case here. This team is going to pressure a whole bunch is going to use the size in the defensive line and can play really physical on the back end. Yeah, they, they they got that defensive line. It's just a, a relentless pursuit, a push into the backfield. Uh, they're one of the better teams in the Big 12 and in the country in tackles for loss, sacks, and, and short yardage runs kind of keeping things um, keeping things from being big plays. And they what they do is they get you 
behind the behind the chains. They get they get you facing third and long, and that's why currently they are ranked number three in the entire country in third down defense. And you look at the splits based on how far the average distance to go is on third down for opposing teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, from one to six yards, so six yards or less, which is a little more than, you know, obviously halfway. It's a medium, a, a, health, a hefty medium. They've held 63 times opposing teams have gone that way, and another 52 times it's been longer than six yards. Like they're they're keeping teams, they're forcing teams. If you're wondering, oh, that's you know, hey, it's shorter than six. Yeah, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a lot more opportunities closer than six than greater than six. It should be more like eighty and forty, not sixty and fifty. It should not be similar. And so they're forcing teams into third and long a lot more than other teams in the country. Hence the low conversion rate. I mean, I'm looking at here. You're getting a conversion on. Three out of twenty-nine on ten plus yards, five out of twenty-three. So you're you're converting fifteen to twenty percent of the time once you get into that third and medium, third and long against this Oklahoma State defense. And they get there by beginning the drives with tackles for loss. They have stopped the other team on fifteen straight third downs. Holy, is that a, is that true? I mean, I, I don't think you're making that up, but I, I, well, they played Kansas, so Kansas Kansas was 0 for 13, and they got the final two against Iowa State, so they have not given up a third down conversion. It'll be going on two weeks, so pretty impressive there too. Wow, their um their defensive backfield I mentioned senior, senior redshirt senior, so senior redshirt senior at corner, senior redshirt junior senior at safety. Would you rather have? that type of age experience on the defensive front or in the back in the back even in this big 12 now that's that's so i want to say run heavy but you see running games and tight ends i'm with you but i think it's an interesting thing because years ago you might have said give me the the defensive backs because of the passing games but you might as well have said defensive ends so i can get the quarterback on the ground or get pressure this time you might say give me the defensive backs because um there is an advantage, obviously, to experience and physicality. You can intimidate receivers. You can learn so many things that you've seen before. But also, it'd be great to be old and wise and strong in a defensive line because you see so many running backs here, too. It's funny because my my first thought was I'd rather have the experience in the back end because I feel like that's where you need to have the best communication. You need to have the best communication and understanding of what's going on in front of you. Where on the defensive line, I know it's not as simple as, you know, meet me in the backfield and let's go and just put your hand down and go. <clears throat> but you can treat it like that a lot of the time. And so I'd rather have, you know, young and athletic and try to get contributions from guys like that. And we've seen guys like that make a contribution, but we also know you and I both uh, of a good, very good defensive coordinator um, who once told us you stick the young guys at corner and just tell them to play defense. And that's where you stick them when they're when they're first getting started. You can put them on a corner at at a cornerback and in some defenses and a lot of defenses, actually, and just have them play man or hold a zone and just have them play defense because it's basically do this, this one thing for about three seconds. That's Mm -hmm. all I'm asking you to do. And you can do that with young guys. Now, that's corner, not safety. So I. I'm a little torn on this, but my immediate thought is I'd rather have that experience on the back end of the defense. Well, the trick and the treat for Oklahoma State is I just read you that 
experience in the back end. Well, how about on their defensive end, <laughs> redshirt senior, defensive tackle, redshirt senior, defensive tackle, senior, defensive end, redshirt junior. Um, they have two oars at one defensive end and one defensive tackle position where the backup is a freshman and a sophomore. The point is they can play old up front. They can play old back. And by the way, they're two linebackers, seniors. And good Probably ones not a surprise that they're that, that they're this good in their defensive coordinator's third season where he's very aggressive. This is the former Duke defensive coordinator. If you come from Duke for playing defense, where you were Cutcliffe and, and some good offensive coaches there, that means you've obviously rung the bell a few times, and Jim Knowles does that. They're aggressive. They get after you. They don't have to blitz to get pressure, especially now, too. So um, they're, they're tough. They're competitive here, too. Um, I no longer have concerns, I guess, about West Virginia's receivers showing up. They've done that enough now. I think you can probably assume that's going to be there. Now, you might not know which ones will be there, but the fact that you might not be able to trust completely every down from every one of these players, as Dale, Ryan, Wheaton, James. There's a way to get two or three of them on every game here, too. And more importantly, if you're going to have one hot corner or one spot of the field that's just being stubborn that day, you can go somewhere else. Um, how good have the receivers been? And I'm not just saying with a recency bias of last game. It was building toward last game, too, for a while. See, for me, maybe I'm maybe I'm alone on this. I feel like they, just the receiver specifically, have been great all season long. I I thought they were I thought they were very good early in the year. I thought even when the offense is struggling, they were one of the bright spots for this entire team. And it was just a matter of you have to find someone to give them the ball. You have to find someone to just give the receivers the ball because they are doing a good job. Um, so for them to take it from you know, maybe a, a seven out of a 10 to a nine out of 10 last week. Uh, that's not that surprising to me because I think they've been very good all year long. Absent from my um, list of receivers there, who you may not know what you're going to get from was Winston, right? You pretty much know what you're going to get from him there too. As you look at matchups there, again, they just play the two linebackers. So you're going to get that third safety in there. It's not what, it's not what Iowa state does. It's not. But he's going to find himself in some one-on-one spots. And when you think about what happened last year, he cooked the defensive back and got the long touchdown. This seems like a big game for him. Yeah, it does. And and I'm curious how – who is going to be the recipient on the end of some of these plays that I think West Virginia needs to run to beat this Oklahoma State defense? Now, this is partly receiver talk, partly West Virginia can't give up on the run game, but they also can use the run game in other ways. And what I mean by that is play action. And some of that's RPO kind of stuff, but play action has been one of the few ways where opposing teams have been able to kind of move the ball on Oklahoma State. Iowa State absolutely crushed them with it. Mm -hmm. Brock Purdy was 13 of 14 for 182 yards and a touchdown when he went into play action passes against Oklahoma State. Obviously, it's just a matter of, and but the other part of that is they also had them running. They also ran the ball 33 times, so they didn't abandon the run. They ran the ball, and even though it was only getting three, three and a half yards per carry, that kept the defense honest. And then they were able to exploit them with the play action pass. The three teams that have scored 23 points or more on Oklahoma State, no one scored more than 24, by the way, on Oklahoma State this year. Um, that was was at Tulsa, Texas, Iowa State. 21 of 27 for 267 yards again in, with the play action pass. That is how you can be successful against this team. And all three of those games, 
39 carries, 33 carries, 33 carries. So they didn't abandon the run. They used the run for everything, for all aspects of the offense. That leads me to this. And this is probably going to be my answer to the later question I ask you about what are we talking about. But I don't know that West Virginia will be able to run successfully against them. Sorry. Just my I don't answer. either. <laughs> now, granted, can now if they end up with 122 yards and they only ran the ball, you know, 25 times, that's a good day. And again, what they do off of the running success, that's going to be important as well. So don't don't use it by quantitative analysis. Use it by qualitative analysis. So again, you could look at the paper and say, oh, they ran for far more yards against TCU. I think their running game was no less successful against Iowa State just because of who they were playing. And, and again, they did not try to run the ball at, at Iowa State very much. They could against TCU. So then I'm thinking that you're right there in play action and doing things too. And some guys that you figure are going to see Sam James are going to see Winston Wright, maybe a running back out of the backfield, maybe a tight end. Uh, Malcolm Rodriguez, their linebacker, when targeted, 12 of 18. Devin Harper, the pass rushing linebacker, really good pass rusher, but he plays linebacker a lot. Teams are 18 for 22 when they target him. And what about the safeties? Um, Kobe, Kobe, Harvell Peel, teams are 14 for 28 when they target him. Granted, three interceptions on the four incomplete passes, so he's effective there. Those are guys who are going to be involved. Jason Taylor, uh, 16 for 22 when he's targeted. You kind of get the idea here that when are those guys, when are linebackers and safeties in the middle getting um, manipulated? When are they getting targeted? Is it all play action? No, but certainly the idea is to get those guys down to get the ball up and out and to do something with it too. So again, they're going to have to run. They're going to have to commit to it. They're going to have to be a little bit like Iowa State and take, you know, perhaps for West Virginia, they would not sign up for 17 runs of three yards or less, but if that's what happens, fine. Don't get to seven yards, seven runs of three yards or less and completely flip the script. You got to get to 12, 15, 17 so you can stick that play action out there and be effective with it because that's that is how they're going to take some deep shots here. You know, outside guys running by these corners. I don't know. We'll see. There's probably a chance that they're going to see that a little bit, but it might be a byproduct of at least making them aware of the run. Doesn't be a play action, but if they're like, OK, it's first and 10, they might run it. That's effective, too. That's also a byproduct of your running game. I think that's a huge part of this one. And the other area where this comes in is is on screen passes. Um, these same those same three teams that I talked about also found success that way. You know they they were screening them, they were play actioning them. The running back is going to be involved even if he doesn't carry the ball 25, 30 times. Uh, Iowa State eight of eight on screen passes, forty seven yards. Texas six of eight, thirty four yards. Tulsa three of four, uh, just eleven yards. But again, these are ways that you can get the ball out in space, that you can get past the line of scrimmage and try to get some yardage. Because just those couple right there, that's 350-some yards just off of screen passes and play actions in those three games against arguably the best defense in the Big 12 Conference. West Virginia loves that tunnel screen. Yeah. We saw a variation of it where they ran Letty Brown outside in. They ran a ton of empty set stuff and were pretty good against it, too. Um I forget the numbers in my head. Eight for 12, I think, including five for five in the second half when, when Daigie passed it. It was effective. That was the subject of the screen share this week. If you're not reading screen share, I don't have time for you. <laughs> but they're so well known for that inside tunnel to Esdale that, one, we're, we're not sure if Esdale is going to play. We can say that, right? I'm feeling and, confident that he's not. But, yeah, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. So, again, you're going to throw that to Sean Ryan. Maybe, maybe not. They did get some screen stuff to Bryce Ford Wheaton against TCU. We saw Letty Brown, but you can also have fun with that, too. You can you can have screens of both sides, especially if you're doing that empty set stuff, which I think they're probably going to stick with. 
I think that you're right there. Play action, sure, but screens, and again, that's almost like handoffs too. If you're not going to commit to 40 handoffs, 35 handoffs, it's okay to have 22, 25, but run six, eight screens, see what you can get out of it, especially if you're wearing on teams. that, that you know, I don't want to run up and tackle Bryce Ford Wheaton if he's coming through a hole on a screen pass. That's not going to be fun. I think there's ways to do that and be effective. And then, golly, if they run a tight end screen to TJ Banks, I might have to, might have to turn the TV off because then I've seen it all. Hey, don't rule it out, Mike. This is an innovative, new, who knows? We've got 18 different offensive coordinators. One of them might come up with that tight end screen. Mm-hmm. Just think about this for a second. They ran pistol. They ran under center. They played with one tight end. Uh, they played some snaps with no tight end, but we're not in like a shotgun set. Uh, they played your traditional 10 personnel. They played empty sets where the tight end fired off the line of scrimmage. So he was attached and went deep to be the fifth receiver on the route. Um, they ran the empty sets. They ran their shotgun stuff. They ran RPO. There's a whole lot in that bag all of a sudden. We're talking about how they're simplifying it. I'm not sure they're running a ton of plays, but the variation that they're showing with formations and shifting and personnel is pretty impressive that the bag is growing right now. They really should not be without answers. That's that's one thing. I don't think we can argue that, but I will ask you your opinion on this. Um, I don't think that they could have absorbed the loss of Michael Lachlan for the remainder of the season if that was his preseason injury. I think that would have been in a bad spot. And then also Nick Troy Fortune, if you had said at the beginning of the season who was the one defensive player you can't afford to lose, I'm not sure he's number one, but he's he's not a guy that you feel so good about replacing based on the available bodies, as is the case now. Yeah, I'm with you. I think, hey, I think that good question by you, Mike, uh, during the press conference there, because I think one, it caught Neil Brown off guard. He, was a little he wanted to fight. What you were asking. Yeah, he, he thought you were he thought you were asking something else. And yeah, uh, but I was I was I was picking up what you were putting down, Mike, that that if Michael Laughlin had been ruled out after say game one or game two say he got hurt against long island west virginia would have been a much much worse spot than they would be right now because i do think they have a little more confidence in what tj banks can do and how they can implement him into their scheme and the other side of that is the 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 woods thing in place of fortune i'm with you it's fortune's not somebody they needed to wanted to lose obviously it's not somebody they can really afford to lose no matter what no matter even if woods is amazing because their secondary is so freaking thin right now. I mean, did you hear his his plan? And it's a great plan, by the way. I love it. They are rotating in <laughs> their like secondary and third, you know, third string, second string backups so that none of them play more than four games so they can keep their red shirt, but just rotating random guys in. Like, oh yeah, this time it's Coleman in because Caleb Coleman, because he's only played two games, so he can Come up and play this one. Oh, hey, hey, St. McLeod's only played one game, so let's pull him up next game and then the next two, and then we'll rotate around and keep it going. Like, that's some serious managerial stuff going on right there, which, again, great plan, but also a worrisome plan that it's so thin back there that you have to do that. Well, not that, but if if Alonzo Adai rolls an ankle or Sean Mahone gets ejected for targeting, those guys are getting stretched out and then they can make it work. They can move Jackie Matthews and put Scotty young in, but then you're one step closer to having to play those guys a whole lot more. So right now you're talking about your third string corner is Jackie Matthews. Who's your starting spear and your backup spear is also your backup free and cat safety. <laughs> so Scotty young has got to get on that plane wherever they go next, right? He's got to be ready to go. And then you're going to have to have Jackie Matthews ready to play, you know, probably every snap at multiple positions. Like this is going to have to be, Something and again, these guys haven't haven't been there the whole time. Like Scotty Young just didn't play a game. Um, 
you know, Jackie Matthews is bouncing around different positions. Charles, Charles Woods was out for a game, didn't play, had some personal stuff going on, he said. Like, so there's, it, it looks good right now, but boy, the picture has changed, which is pretty much the theme for this team. Are, do you think they'll pull a Darian Howard if they need to? Well, I'm curious about what they did with Justin Johnson, who has not played offense the last two games, but they ran him on the field because they only had 10 people on the field for a punt snap. Um, so Iowa State was punting. They only had 10. They ran him on the field. That was his one and only snap, and he's played five games now. Ooh. So now, granted, the WB stats have him also playing three games and four games, but so it's either three, four, or five, which are all in the official extreme air quotes in the office here, official stats. But if that was his fifth game and he played one snap, that's bad, right? So point is, it's very hard to manage, and it requires things like sitting down and saying, okay, we can, we're only using this one safety this game. So the bad part of that is I actually thought Aubrey Brooks, Aubrey Burks was was effective in, in some snaps. Like he came on the field after the, um, the big long touchdown from Iowa State that went to Tariq Milton, where it was a coverage bus, and they blame a die for that one. Um, you figure you see that if you're Iowa State, you're probably going to go back to that or something like it. You're probably going to pick on number 22. Didn't happen, and it's because he was he was on top of things he had to be. But you can't use him now because you can't use him all of his games in succession here, too. The other thing is, too, and here's here's a, a, a question for you. When they sat down and they had this plan during the bye week, they were two and four. Probably planning for just 12 games. Who's going to be left for game 13 if they get to a bowl? <laughs> now, granted, they'll probably take that problem if they create that problem, I guess. But the point is now, like, do you just plan to play these guys three games? Because it'd be great to practice them and play them in a bowl. That that might be the idea. I, that's not enjoyable. That's not an enjoyable decision to make. Not at all. Glad they paid them the seven figures or the high <laughs> six figures, too. So good for them. All right. The big question, Chris, we gather Saturday evening, your favorite kickoff time and mine. Uh, 3.30, so I don't know, sometime around maybe 8. We're talking uh, who or what is on our mind as impacting the outcome. As always, I'm going to say this is my pick after Jared Dagey. Um, and last time I went Josh chandler Tomato. I'm, again, I'm going to try to mix it up because that would be my second pick this time around. I think he really stepped up last game and was really needed. He's going to have to be in the same kind of capacity this time around. Um, I'm trying not to just keep expanding my list and taking all of your choices. Hmm. But uh, I, I'm going to have to go with Doug Nestor this time around because I think West Virginia needs to be able to, one, one move the ball on the ground at least – adequately maybe even too strong of a word and the way that defensive line lines up they're going to be moving and shifting and lining up and yeah it's going to be important for Zach Frazier to be able to recognize that and call out things um call out blockings and coverages from from his spot but Doug Nestor's got it when this team has been good the best games for this team have been when Doug Nestor's good now I don't know how correlated those two things are but when the offensive line as a whole is good the team is good. And when Doug Nestor is good, the offensive line is good. So I'm going to say Doug Nestor here. That's fair. I like that one, too. And that would kind of go into mind that I mentioned earlier, how they respond to not being able to run the ball. I think it's going to be an important thing here, too. Uh, I'll go into this one here. Uh, I want to go to the coaching matchup. I think that Neil Brown at Al, whoever is involved, has things going on offense. That's good. You can't see the screw ups because you can't afford to squander plays and timeouts and series here. I really wonder how they're going to manage the, the Garrett Green thing. So, yeah, there's a lot of coaching that goes on there, too. Conversely, listen, Gundy and his staff have done a good job. They don't do anything exotic. They're effective. They play their game, and they're good at it, too. So there's going to be some of that stuff here. But um, 
This is this is like where Oklahoma State typically loses it. Gundy's coached 60 games in November at Oklahoma State. He's 33 and 27. Cool. This team does not run away and hide in the end of the season. And some of that is having to play Oklahoma, but they haven't beaten Oklahoma too. So 33 and 27 in November. Remember November. Uh, Neil Brown's 14 and 7. He's had some of his better moments in November. It doesn't guarantee anything here, but teams are finding themselves, and sometimes teams get stale in this month. And you wonder if a team that just kind of is what it is and does what it does, what the longevity is. And then if West Virginia has turned the ignition on this thing, how far down the road does it go? I think we're going to have an answer about one or both of those Saturday evening. Coming up wow. on the site. Oh, well. Sorry, turmoil in Stillwater. Mike predicting. I like it. Okay. It could be. I mean, and I don't know. We'll see. But anyways, coming up on the site, you have the podcast preview today. Tomorrow, you'll have the fresh set. Uh, I guess I'm going to do that again, even though the crowd demands change. That's the <laughs> popular thing to do. You know what we'll do? We'll put both our names on top of it. We'll see. We won't uh, even let people know who's writing it. There you go. That's the who's way to do it. coordinating the fresh set? Don't know. Co- None of your business. Co- co-writer Chris Anderson and co-writer Mike. <laughs> do it. All right, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. Let's get out of here. And then, of course, you have your preview three keys on Saturday morning, which, again, gets a lot of air because the 3.30 kickoff, again, our favorite. Yeah, absolutely. we got some new things up from Andrew Corbett that uh, he took some took uh, a look at some of the film and the passing concepts for West Virginia that helped create space against that Iowa State secondary. That video is up and on the site right now. Um, again, yeah, like you said, key matchups. Got some recruiting things going up. Uh, basketball recruiting, a couple stories there. Football recruiting, a couple stories there. Charity bets are embarrassing. We don't want to talk about them anymore, uh, but we're still going to have those up Thursday. <laughs> it was uh, it was bad. It was, I think, was it three of our bets decided by a kickoff return or pick six? Um, and all three in the wrong direction. So yeah. just fantastic. I was, uh, I was at a funeral last week, but I'm grieving now. <laughs> My picks were not good last week. It's the worst week I've had too. So I have to, and I just just missed on some things. I really thought Iowa State, Ohio State, was going to take care of business. I thought they were yeah. going to handle Penn State. Penn State came to play. Didn't win. Came to play. Yeah. Until then, plenty coming on the site. Plenty to decide on the field Saturday. Plenty to discuss before and after that as well. Until then, I am Mike Kazaza. and I'm Chris Anderson. Talk to you next time.